Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hi, I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. I'm Mari Forth. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. Subscribe to our feed at robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed to get your true crime on Tuesdays. We also drop in the main feed on Wednesdays. Sarah, what are we talking about today? Yes, let's open today's file. We didn't watch I Killed My Dad which was the property that we promised you last week. Don't worry, that's coming up next week. Instead, we watched The Most Hated Man on the Internet, a three-part documentary series on Netflix uh, directed by Rob Miller, who also directed the comedy series Consciously Incompetent. And we took this chance to cover this documentary today because of our great guest. Writer, editor, storyteller, award-winning journalist, she's written for Billboard, Gorka, Boston Phoenix, and The Village Voice, among others. And she's featured in the docuseries. It's Camille Dodero. Camille, welcome to Crime Scene. Hi, how are you? Glad, glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We're extremely glad to have you. It is very rare 
actually it has not happened before where we've actually had somebody <laughs> who's participated in the the series that we are uh, talking about so we are so gracious that you answered our emails <laughs> to come on with us <laughs> i'm happy to be here it's fun to, it's fun to do. before yeah. we um, jump into the documentary what's your true crime origin story do you like it how did you get into it how did you get into writing about it um, so I wouldn't call myself a member of say the true crime community because it's kind of like a, I don't know, a loaded thing. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a journalist by trade. So I've, um, uh, my interest in true crime tends to be about well-told stories, but also like how stories were put together. So I, so I get a lot mm-hmm. out of watching like how stories are broken or things because as a journalist, it teaches me how, you know, how the police dealt with an investigation or any, any, any sort of thing like that. Um, so that, so my interest is both, it's both professional and like almost uh, procedural in terms of, mm. uh, in terms of uh, true crime. But I, you know, but I also, I like obviously a good story as anyone does. Um, and yeah. so, you know, so as a journalist, yeah. So I've, I've, you know, I have never, I've actually never really written about uh, murder. Um, I've written about, Lots of lots of different things. Uh, you're you're speaking to the choir here. We are two procedural gals. We love a good story being told. It's the whole premise of our podcast here. Can you tell us like your role when it came to this documentary? Just explain to people, mm-hmm. just high level, what your place was when it came to this docu series. Okay, so I did a story uh, about ten years ago. I was a staff writer at the Village Voice, um, uh, a weekly newspaper that does not exist in the way that it did and it's considered like it's considered a really good important like Norman Mailer co-founded the Village Voice I, it was like my dream to work there so I was so happy to be on staff there um, but one of the stories I did was about how there was a website called is anyone up and it was run by a guy who was putting his face out there and it was all about you know quote, revenge porn, or what we would call revenge porn then. Um, now, we don't really use that. But so I was interested in him because he was charismatic and had a large following online. Um, but he was putting up, you know, and if you watch the documentary, you'll see all this, but for to, just to explain how I came across it, like, he's putting up basically nudes of people and uh, mm-hmm. with their names, faces, identifiable information, and he's getting away with this. And because mm-hmm. he was using um, a loophole in the Communications Decency Act, uh, Section 230 uh, in the U.S., and I mean, it's not actually a loophole, it's what, it's what the law is written so that, you know, Facebook doesn't get sued for when you post something offensive, they're not held liable. They will take it down, but they can't be sued for user submitted things. So mm. he was, he had established this revenge porn website with his identity and personality attached to it, and who was, you know, shaming, like not only shaming, putting up nudes of, you know, school teachers, you know, moms, mm. like women. It originally started sort of like, you know, men and people in, in this rock scene. But anyway, just to, it's, I was, interested not only because it had a following and also because he was a villainous troll but i found him interesting because i thought that he threatened the future of the communications decency act i thought that he was going to be someone who 
legislators would take up as a crusade and say, we have to change the laws because, you know, look what he's getting away with. And that just by virtue of him, we would have our, you know, our, our liberties, like our, our internet liberties were, were, would be at risk. I mean, I genuinely thought Interesting. That. Yeah. Which is, that's which so is, yeah. good. So that's, so I did the story about his, about him. I did a profile of him. And then in the process of doing that, I, it ended up becoming a lot more of a story after the first story came out, um, which we can uh-huh. get into later. And yeah. so this yeah. story ended up being a big, these, these two stories I did and, and then some other follow-up things ended up being a big deal um, because they broke news about, about him and about his website. And so even though 10 years have passed, about you know two years ago, the producers of this documentary contacted me uh, during COVID saying they were, you know, starting to put together, you know, starting to interview people just to see, you know, they sort of the way that these things work is, you know, they don't, they don't just, if it's well done, they don't just put you in front of a camera. Like you have all sorts of pre-conversations. So, you know, they reached out and I started talking to them and here we are two years later. Amazing. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's amazing. Let's just run down the crime briefly and then we can talk about uh, how the documentary presents it and and what we think, which is what we're here for. So Camille has uh, covered some of this. Huntermore was a self-proclaimed professional life ruiner who found fame in the early 2010s when he founded Is Anyone Up, uh, which was a notorious revenge porn site, although you say we don't say revenge porn anymore, Camille. What do we say? There's uh, It's like non-consensual image uh, I have it's it's you, people use the acronym. The idea being that porn it implies consent. Ah, okay. Mm, so I like that's, that. Yes. Yeah. So that's yes. why the terminology has shifted. Oh, good. You know, because everybody like likes that. porn, right? <laughs> well, if you yes, if you've consented to porn, then that's great. Exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> uh, so it was a, a non-consensual image website. It was originally meant to be a clubbing website, and I noticed uh, Camille. Some of your work around that time was very much in bands and various things, and we'd be very interested to hear about the scene that this that this grew out of. He posted a nude photograph of a girl he was dating. He says he got over 14,000 hits and that changed the course of the website. He solicited contributions of nude photographs of both men and women. Uh, They were published with links to their social media, which was something that made it different from other things that were happening at the time. Uh, Some people self-submitted, but most were submitted by others and more declined to take photographs down when asked. Uh, He claimed that the website attracted 30 million page views monthly and yielded 8000 to 13000 a month in ad revenue. So the site was up for about 16 months and was shut down in 2012 after Moore sold the domain to James Gibney, a web entrepreneur, and we'll certainly be talking about him later as well. So with the evidence coming out that Moore had paid a hacker to get private nude uh, images, uh, the FBI charged Moore with aggravated identity theft and aiding and abetting an unauthorised access of a computer. In 2015, he pleaded guilty and was sentenced to two and a half years in prison, followed by three years of supervised release and a $2,000 fine. And his accomplice, the hacker Charles Evans, was sentenced to two years and one month in prison and a $2,000 fine. Yes. Thank you for that, Sarah. Yeah. Uh, untangling all those threads. So, 
Camille, just take us a little bit broadly to start with, if you wouldn't mind. The scene at the time uh, that they talk about this music scene, this alt rock scene, it's not one that I was in. I was a punk in the seventies. <laughs> uh, my, my my nudes are all, you know, Kodak prints <laughs> in dusty drawers, and a few kind of. I knew some art students in my early twenties, and I'm really glad because I've got some very tasteful black and whites from, from their art student days. So. Yeah. Yeah, this was not my scene either. I, <laughs> uh, uh, suffice it to say, I was like in my mid twenties, like working a hard job at that point. Had no idea about any of this. This is specifically why we wanted to bring somebody on the inside in here, Camille. Because mm-hmm. when I tell you, I had never heard of like any of this. Like mm-hmm. I was like, have I been living under a rock? I had n- I hadn't heard of anyone was up. Um, the only thing I I had heard of um was we'll get to it in in part three anonymous the the hacker group anonymous that was the only thing that was like oh i remember them but before that i was like i have no idea what the scene is i I, you know i know a little bit of emo rock but that's not this so please (laughs) take us through this (laughs) yeah no i mean you know it's not as a journalist like it's not my scene specifically either in the sense Mm -hmm. that you know i write about lots and lots and lots of things so yes i like the cars but no i never had I don't know some of the <laughs> some of the haircuts that were specific. Um, basically, so it, what it, I mean, it's a loose. Uh, the the what this emerged from is in Hunter Moore himself, who you know is the protagonist villain. It was sort of an offshoot of like well, MySpace. So in the, in the days of MySpace, there were uh, a lot of younger kids who were into like emo and goth and piercings mm-hmm. tattoos um boys with tight pants uh mm-hmm. yeah we know. had those in the 70s the boys yeah. with tight pants. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> always to be enjoyed yeah. um you know sh- you know choppy short hair like uh heavy makeup it was sort of like it it, it was often so basically the, you know it was a lot of, it was like an offshoot of the emo scene you know, where you know everybody likes like say bands like paramore and things like mm-hmm. that um and a lot of it, a lot of this culture began, it was very active on MySpace. Like one of the, it was sort of, this scene was huge on MySpace. And Hunter Moore actually was very active in MySpace. And that's when he started actually building um, a, uh, a following. So mm-hmm. from there, you know, those, because that was sort of one of the first generations to really grow up on the internet. Cause this was about, you know, mid 2000s. Right. That scene, it was, it was a counterculture scene, but it was, you know, and so it was to the sense that I, I think it's interesting because the scene itself, like, was these there were there were social hierarchies, but because these were like it was like anti jock. These were not, you mm-hmm. know, these were these are not strong like football players. These are mm-hmm. like artist types, creative types, girls who you know feel differently, have listened to sad rock music. Like, it was very much another you know sub world yeah yeah yeah. and and i I think yeah i I think the thing that's interesting is is also just that like even though there there ended up as we see in this documentary there ended up being like cruelty and snobbery i do Mm. think that the idea and sort of in the initial like what people flocked to was that this idea of like identifying as sort of sad or identifying as like troubled or you know I mean sort of like what grunge was in the 90s like people who are really yeah um but it was you know a younger generation and a different you know expression of that 
that had access to the internet, yes, which exactly. those previous, the grunge era, like Sarah said, that didn't have that. I, I, I appreciate so much having like an analog childhood and a digital <laughs> adulthood yeah. because just, I, I'm like, I, I'm like a few years removed of, I cannot, I'm so glad all of my mistakes weren't plastered on the internet. I feel so <laughs> bad for kids today because it's like one wrong move and, and it's there and seemingly what feels like for forever. Uh, thank you so much for describing that because it's, it's, I think the documentary does a pretty good job in that first episode describing the scene and all of that. It was yeah. just something I was just like, I, I really felt like I was like, I live under a rock. I did not know this, like, you know, but I, at this point in time, I know me personally, I was, I was out of college. I, again, I was an adult. <laughs> and so it is one of those things like, of course you won't know. This was definitely very niche, very, yes, yes, very insulated. Yes. And that's how it started. And, and that's how Hunter Moore got away with it. I think it's also worth noting, honestly, it was very white. I mean, no, no. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I it, said it. no, I did I, I, because it is, because it is like, it was, you know, we, the culture did not acknowledge that, but it absolutely mm-hmm. was. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's like this, all this stuff was huge, but it was huge to this small, this minor group of people. So yes. And I think that's, that's the thing too of, uh, of it's a, it's a niche world, but if you're in it, you are so in it that whatever happens in it is your whole world and so this first um part so it's three parts we get to the mm-hmm. first part which i would call you know the the kayla laws the charlotte laws of it all where we are introduced to a young girl called kayla who had her nudes put up on is anyone up uh which she knew for a fact she had never sent to anyone she had emailed them from her phone uh to her email just to to cash them uh, and her mother, Charlotte Laws, who becomes involved with attempting to get the photograph taken down. And at first she goes to the website, which says, you know, make a request to have your image taken down, which apparently if anyone made that request, they would get a single word response from Hunter, which was lols. <laughs> yeah. L-O-L. Yeah. I thought this was great introduction to the basically the woman who took down Hunter Moore in a sense like yeah this was just a great introduction to Charlotte Laws and Kayla Laws like they were the two talking heads that kind of take us through the whole journey like they're Charlotte is there from beginning to end I think Kayla provides a lot of good like victim impact to hear directly from her and a lot of other victims was very very impactful and you know we love to highlight that we we like when um, documentaries center the victims as opposed to you know giving the perpetrator more fame you know it, it's really about getting the victim stories out there letting them feel comfortable giving their story feeling like they're helping so I thought that was great with a lot of these uh, a lot of the talking heads of course we have one on our <laughs> podcast right now Camille did great popping up in episode two Camille any insight you can give us on some of the other people who participated in the uh the documentary I didn't know uh any of the victims who were in the documentary besides Kayla I had spoken to Kayla but um I I mean I knew I spent a lot of time talking to Charlotte in 2012 yeah. and you know I I also 
know James McGibney like you know fairly well you know and and they were good at like the the producer and the uh director were very good at getting relevant people you know these aren't just like mm-hmm. random like they they did they were able to get the key players but in, in terms point. of in, yeah i mean in terms mm-hmm. of insight like you know a charlotte's an amazing character i mean she's oh, she is i amazing you know, when i wrote the story at the time i after I, the second my second story came out which we'll discuss in a little bit you know i was like i we gotta like i want to go to california and write a story about her which has <laughs> happened a ton but it hadn't happened then and um but the village voice was new york centric so because there was not an angle it didn't work out but um i it's actually quite funny charlotte has branded herself as uh, the aaron brockovich of revenge porn and that's that's the mm. title i told i gave her that title we were on the phone i was like you're like the aaron that. brockovich <laughs> of revenge porn. and now it's like all over everything she does so i'm just funny. always teasing her like you know i I think the the revelation of Charlotte by the documentary filmmakers, I think, is an absolute masterclass. They don't give you everything all at once. We are introduced to her as the concerned mother, and slowly Mm -hmm. we start to understand her. I was moved to Google her, you know, how old (laughs) Charlotte Laws. Uh And uh, she is exactly exactly one week older than me. So and the idea of the concerned mother, and I think this is one of the sort of dramatic, ironic beauties of the real story, is that Hunter Moore, who I will come out and say it, he's a misogynist. Uh, He has no respect for women. Uh, I would ask who hurt you, but I don't care, Hunter. (laughs) That he was taken down by someone who he would definitely disregard a a woman who at the time was in her early 50s, a mother, mm-hmm. um, who described her own life. She didn't ever say suburban, but it was it's a very comfortable life. And then we slowly hear more and more about her her, her own background, which is fascinating. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. But also for me, that idea that at the end of episode one, by dint of Kayla's wonderful stepfather, Charles Parcell, who had no idea how serious any of this was until they had to educate him. Um, He got her, he was able to get the the photo taken down. So I think, okay, that's the end of that story. But by that time, Charlotte Laws had spoken to more than 40 of the victims and she tells us that she felt she just couldn't leave them hanging with Mm -hmm. no assistance. And so this engine of the takedown of Hunter Moore seems to kick in uh, after the end of part one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Charles was just uh, so great. I love, (laughs) I love when Charles came in. I was like, Oh my, I can listen to him just recite the phone book, his accent, his cadence, his, his just the way he spoke i was like this man is like non-polluted like, that's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like he he's, just, he's so chill he, he he really was like oh 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 this is serious okay <laughs> let me, <laughs> yeah let me put on my lawyer hat and, <laughs> and yeah. get these pictures taken down it was so great that the rollout of, of this like like sarah said with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, I'll spoil my my review at the end. I mean, I think this is a really good documentary. And one of the things that I really liked was that each of the parts sort of moves us forward. Uh, and so in part two, we start the takedown. We see the media yourself included, Camille, starting to turn their eye on this insular world, which both brings Hunter more more, more popularity but also more um, approbation, which he seems to feed on. He loves people saying bad things about him because he then says he's going to make them regret that they said bad things about them. He's going to burn down their places of employment that happened to Camille and he's going to expose and humiliate them it's a very strange I mean I wrote down trapped rat but as the the pressure comes down on him he he thrashes and and bloviates and and makes more and more and bigger and bigger threats we so so we see that when he comes up against someone like Anderson Cooper Mari what did you think about that Anderson Cooper section there the Anderson Cooper section was really enlightening because it felt like at that point, and maybe Camille can confirm this or not, but like it seemed like at that point, Hunter Moore kind of had like free reign uh, to do whatever. Right. He was he yeah. had his own podcasting. He was you know, he was getting interviews, but it it probably was probably like very all favorable. And then once he steps on to Anderson Cooper, it's kind of like. You know, he gets the pushback. He he has the victims in his face here asking him why he did it. Like they said in the documentary, he looks so smug on it. And it kind of that's when it really blew up to the, the point where, yes, he got more followers, but he also got the the ire of a lot of people onto him as well. Camille, where were you like, where was your series at this point? Well, so the interesting thing is the way that it plays out in the documentary. They introduced me in episode two. Uh, right. when I'm working these stories, and then and then we talk. I and I also narrate uh, how Anderson Cooper really put him put almost put a target on his back. Um, yes. The way that it, the story act, the way reality happened, the timeline is that he was on Anderson Cooper. So my story took place in March of 2000, or it came out April of 2012. He was actually on Anderson Cooper in November of 2011. So for narrative purposes, they, it makes it seem if you're watching as if Anderson Cooper happened after I Mm -hmm. was interested in, in, you know, uh, in the story, that's not exactly how the timeline happened. 
but it doesn't really change much. It's it's that right. the Anderson Cooper thing it caught the FBI's attention, and that was yes. before, and that's why it's important because Charlotte had gone to them, but they had been because he was doing this, he was simply on their radar as wow, like we need to keep an eye on this because of his Anderson Cooper appearance. So yeah, it's interesting. We we looked at web of make-believe and one of the themes of of all of those episodes was the lag of law enforcement behind technology so they're not only lagging in using technology there was uh, you know the fbi was very late to email for example but it also means they don't know how to police the technology as well so when in part one charlotte says she contacted the fbi and they said oh yes we'll send someone to talk to you uh, and that was all that was heard. But it sounds like behind the scenes, the, the the gears were grinding. It's just slowly. Yeah, I don't. I mean, basically, I don't think that they had a no investigation on him. It was just that the like he, they were aware of him. Just like you're as you're a person in pop culture, you know, and your that's your job to take people down. It was sort of like flagged, like, oh, this is interesting. We need to keep an eye on this. Um, Charlotte had gone to you know the Los Angeles police, like she had gone to other. Uh, law enforcement agencies and they had just sort of been like nah there's like nothing we can't do anything Mm -hmm. but because she had put together so much um you know this woman as you've seen the dog like she individually called she started calling other victims on the site because she she's obsessive about things when she gets really into them and she took it upon herself to like figure out who this person was behind the site, who would it wouldn't take her daughter's nude photos down, and who all these other women who had been put on the site against their will were. And she has amazing investigative skills. So when she contacted the FBI, she had already put together, she had a huge file. And I think my sense is that the FBI was like, okay, like we have to take you seriously. Like we're going to look into this because it wasn't just someone calling to complain. It was someone who had done a ton of ground work. work. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Great point. Great point. We did get Jeff Kirkpatrick, an FBI agent, as one of the people interviewed. And it seemed like he, once he realized the extent of what was going on, he really did look into the case and he explains to us that, you know, at the time there weren't many laws that they could prosecute him under, but it was when he, he started investigating like the hacker component because um, Kayla was so adamant that she had not sent the pictures to anybody and that they were just in her email folder Mm -hmm. and that she had then lost access to her email that's mm-hmm. what they 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 started focus on between tying hunter Moore to the hacker or to a hacker and it was i mean i i really did like how this was presented in the documentary and then sarah i think this is where we get james uh, mcgibney yes james mcgibney uh very very interesting man ex-marine uh was bullied as a child and so he is a bit of a crusader and good for him for anti-bullying. And he talks about Hunter Moore coming onto his radar and him making friends with Hunter Moore in order to take him down. What's your what was what's your James McGibney take, Camille? And is he the man that we saw? Because the man we saw was absolutely fascinating and quite complex man and seemed almost to the line of Shady himself and yet had done mm-hmm. this 
you know, he was the one effectively that got the site taken down. Yeah. So James McGibney, you know, he got Hunter's site taken down by making a business deal with Hunter. Um, so then the site was was offline. Um, it wasn't so he didn't do it through, you know, law enforcement or any sort of like uh, aggression. He did it with as a kind of, you know, allyship. Like, mm-hmm. hey, let me make a deal. I'll give you money. You take this down. You're dealing with so much stress. Like, don't bother, you know, here, I'm going to give you an incentive to take this down. So he did do that. He is an interesting character, let me tell you. So I, the first time I spoke with him was the day uh, that Is Anyone Up was down. And then there was this default, you know, image on the website. And my first profile of Hunter was maybe two weeks old at this point. And um, I was not, obviously, I was not aware that the site was going to be taken down. But mm-hmm. um, my sense, I, you know, was as kind of as shocked as anybody when I saw that the site had been, you know, taken over and redirected to a website called Bullyville, which was anti-bullying. Because mm-hmm. A, it was so completely out of character. but. It was also like, wait, like I was like, just saw, like talked to Hunter two weeks ago. Um, So I texted Hunter that morning and was like, hey, what's like, what's going on? And his response was, sup, I'm peeing. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, oh. all right. I'm, uh, so then I go into the office and I called. <laughs> I look up James McGivney's info. I get him on the phone. And um, I do think that there was... James McGivney also, he had a website called Cheaterville, which um, was under the umbrella of Bullyville and all these other sites. And and it was a site... There's like this backstory about how this friend was being cheated on as a Marine. But people went to his site and named like cheaters and it was very it was similar in that there was no evidence or quality control it was just what users were posting so there's a lot of potential for misuse or no abuse abuse for that i had never heard of it prior to you know him purchasing as anyone up but i do think that you know in the back of his head there was also this idea that Hunter was getting a lot of attention and just like I thought, um, cause when I talked to him that day, like this, he's somebody who could threaten, you know, a site like Cheaterville or a site like, like Hunter's antics are getting so much attention now oh, that uh-huh. we could limit uh, our freedoms. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so what's the best way, like, you know, and I'm not at all, I'm not at all suggesting that that was James McGibson's uh, only incentive. I, I just mean that he was aware that Hunter Moore's antics were casting an eye on user submitted content that was controversial. And that's, you know, because his relationship with Hunter started that he was advertising on Is Anyone Up? So, you know. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't advertising Bullyville on (laughs) Is Anyone Up? Talk about dramatic irony. (laughs) (laughs) So he is, I mean, I'm still in touch with him, you know. I've been in contact since the documentary came out. And I mean, he's, he's an interesting character. He, he very much is. Camille, would you like to outline all of your pieces that you did on Hunter or anything you think uh, sure. our well, listeners would want to hear? Sure. About? Yeah. So, well, let me, let, you know, this actually isn't really detailed in the documentary and I do think it's relevant. And I, I'm actually going to write something shortly and put it up, not to today, but in the next couple of days and put it up, you know, on my social media and um, website just mm-hmm. to clarify. So the first story I did was a cover story for the Village Voice and it was very much a profile of Hunter and sort of examining this 
you know, this person who was popular in, you know, this youth scene, but he was, you know, a villain and he was, but he was attaching his name to all this. And he was openly bragging, like, I'm posting your nudes, I won't take them down. You know, in my sense is that you can get away with nearly anything, but if you brag about it, that's <laughs> when people don't, that's when you actually, people will come for you. Yeah. We have lots and lots of villains who are committing crimes every single minute, whether they be financial or, you know, domestic <laughs> or whatnot. But once you start bragging about it in public space, that is when people crack down because nobody wants to feel like they're getting fooled. No one wants to feel like they're getting conned or getting abused. Um, mm-hmm. And so to me, that was, you know, and I other other there's this guy, Martin Shrickley. I can't really pronounce his last name, but basically he was, um, he's known on the internet as Pharma Bro. And basically, yes. he's, yeah, he's a young guy mm-hmm. who like, you know, was a head of a drug company and put Ugh. the prices of insulin like a bajillion dollars and was like, well, I can. And he, in my mind, is a similar, was similar and ended up going to jail as well. Yep. But, mm-hmm. but because these, these people who think they're untouchable and brag about it, um, it makes them a target. So anyway, that story, the first profile I did was about Hunter and about, um, I also, you know, included a section that was about, you know, the head of, that was from the perspective of a victim. Since my newspaper was based in, in New York, I felt, you know, I contacted, reached out to any of the local victims on the site, tracked them down. And um, I found a few, I spoke to a few and, you know, they varied in response. One woman was like, I don't care, like whatever. Whether or not that was genuine, I don't know. You know, another was like, I don't really want to, you know, I'll talk to you, but I don't want to be in your story. And, you know, and then another woman who was a college student was very receptive to talking to me under a pseudonym. And she was, she swore she got hacked. And I, at the time, I mean, I believed her, but part of what Hunter got away with, and this is actually pretty key, and I'm not sure if they played up exactly enough, is that he he posited himself as just like a capitalistic middleman. Like that somebody that, you know, these, you shouldn't take, his whole thing was like victim blaming. You shouldn't take these pictures if you didn't expect them to be on the internet. I'm Mm -hmm. just the middleman. I didn't, uh, your ex, someone out there hates you so much that he sent these, or she sent these pictures. Um, don't blame me. Like I'm doing what's legal. I'm just cashing in on it. It's all your mistakes. And that was constantly his defense. And also when people would say they were hacked, that sounded obviously like an excuse, like women be like, Oh, nobody, nobody betrayed me. I was hacked. And so he would say, yeah, nobody believes you. And there always was a bit of like, Hmm, you got hacked. Like maybe, and I didn't know one way or the other, but I did believe the woman um, who is in my story. In a story, I believe her name was Kristen. That's a pseudonym. And I met up with her in Manhattan. Um, and, you know, we talked for, for hours and I put her in the story. So my story comes out and it ends up, you know, getting a lot of attention. I had followed Hunter on his I, 25th or 26th birthday one night he was out and followed by like a harem of women and all these other hanger on um i also but in the process that i also spoke with him a bunch of times over the phone and because he was very nocturnal like i had a few conversations with him that were you know it was like a lot you know i don't even know it was like in the middle of the night so we ended up like in these long phone conversations and he said a lot of things to me and it was in no and in no way shape or form was it was I betraying his confidence? I was clearly a reporter, but we did talk a lot for, you know, these periods of two weeks, you know, I think I would get five or six phone calls with him. You know, he said things like, because I would, you know, he 
all his excuses, like, you know, he, he said things like, you know, I don't, if somebody commits suicide, like, like, I have to be honest, like, I don't want that to happen, but I'm going to get a ton of money if they do, because they're, they're going to commit suicide, people are going to find out, and they're going to come to my website to look at, you know, these dead person's nudes, like, so I don't want that to happen, but if you do, thanks for the money, like, and that's pretty much a paraphrase quote. So... It, that was also in my first story. So it got a lot of attention, um, you know, because he had been somebody who'd sort of been bubbling up the news. He'd been in Anderson Cooper. He'd been like, you know, there were, there were stories here and there. But I was, and I, I say this because you're talking to me now. I was, uh, it's not bragging, it's what happened. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was able to like, kind of give a full picture of this person. And not at all, like, I wouldn't say humanize him, but make the full character a little more alive. So that story came out. Mm. Big deal. Then he sold the site two weeks later. And well, well, I should say, so the day my story came out two hours later, and I say this in the documentary, I get this email, which I have since pulled out and shown to the producers and whatnot from a woman named Charlotte saying, Hey, like, you know, I really liked your story. I, I have some news uh, related to that, and he may be in the news again, but I, you know, I'd love to talk to you if you if you would be interested. I've spoken with forty other victims on the site, and like that, I was like, whoa. So mm. when she dropped that she had spoken with, I mean, I was the reporter, and I had spoken with five or less, you know, because I had kept mm. it limited to it was a profile about Hunter, but obviously I needed and wanted the victim's stories, you know, represented, but. You know, I had spoken to five because I kept my my circle more narrow to New York. She had she had yeah. spoken to forty, so I immediately I'm like, okay, I have to call this person back. And from there, she then told me, you know, the story of her daughter Kayla, which was in the documentary, and um, started, you know, saying like uh, like a lot of some of these women are willing to talk to you. Um, you know, I, I think this is really important, and so I. I started talking to these other victims and a lot of this um, was for my second story, which a lot of this stuff is not in. And that's when, when you have a good journalism job, what ends up actually on the page is a fraction of what you experience. That's not, there aren't a lot of good journalism jobs left. So Um, a lot of journalism jobs are literally any single thing that they can get published. Um, But at the time in this world where such there were a lot more jobs like this. Um, you know, I was able to spend a lot of time. I talked to all the victims that Charlotte put me in touch with, you know, but what I know, but the thing that's interesting, and here's how we set up the second story is that, you know, I believed Charlotte and I believed that her daughter was hacked, but there was no evidence that there was an actual conspiracy. Yeah. But when I started talking with and interviewing these women, and they're telling me their stories and, you know, talking for like an hour, hours or two. At one point, I'm talking to somebody and she says, yeah. And, you know, and after I got hacked, that, that damn Gary Jones email still in my in my inbox. And I was like, wait, Gary Jones? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, wait, can you do you have screenshots of this? Like, can you send me what? And so we get off the phone. She sends me screenshots and I get chills because. Kristen, the victim from my first story, who swore she was hacked and sent me screenshots, her friend, like the, the way that it had been, it was sort of social engineering. It was this sort of like easy but complicated way where you log into one person's account and then pretend to yes. be them. And so she sent me screenshots of her friend, I believe his name was Taylor, like, and, and it was, 
essentially what I put together right then was this is the same email and these are completely separate. I, the way that sort of, if should anybody who's, I mean, if you were listening to this, you probably are going to watch the documentary. Yeah. 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 Right yeah. Everybody knows it's full spoilers. It's full spoilers. Yeah, it's full okay. spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, the way it's portrayed in the documentary. And this is just because of storytelling and the way that these things are. And they, I have no, you know, issue or, or um, problem with it. I'm, I'm very happy with the way this all turned out, but the way it's told in the story, it, it sort of seems like I just heard from Charlotte, did talk to everybody and then kind of just republished what Charlotte had told me. But that's not what happened in the sense that I was able to move forward with a second story that a, there was a hacking, there was an actual hacking evidence of, of a hack. Component. Of, yep. mm-hmm. yeah. Because I was able to independently verify through, you know, and, and she hadn't been talking about, and Charlotte herself hadn't been talking about this Gary Jones email. She had just been talking about, yeah. I swear everybody's. So I was able to actually go like, wait, this is crazy. Like, this is the same email in these completely unrelated victims. So, so you, even call, you called him out in the title of that second article, you know. Yeah, yeah. Greg Jones wants yep. your nudes. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. yep. And, you and know, this, that, is, yeah. this is a shift in the story as well with the documentary. It's like Hunter Moore is this person. He does this. We don't like it. We didn't want our nudes. He won't take them down. But it's the it's the hacking that breaks it into a criminal uh, enterprise, yep. and that's what takes him as a person down, yep. uh, rather than as you say, the website came down because of a business transaction. But the pursuit of of Hunter Moore uh, legally starts with this: the understanding, as you say, that it's the same email that's hacking all these all these girls that said they were hacked were in fact hacked by this email. Yeah, and they all shared the same email. So, every, you know, whereas he was, Hunter Moore was able to cast his version and be like, yeah, you're making that up saying you got hacked because you're embarrassed that, you know, your ex, like, sent me these these nudes. And and that was honestly what the take was, you know? That was the, mm-hmm. that was like, oh, yeah, like, of course you'd say you're hacked, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it was like, no, <laughs> like, this is, this is actually crazy. There is yeah. the same... You know, all his whole ability to collect money and get away with this has been predicated on the idea that he's just the middleman. And yeah, sure, you might think he's a villain, but it's actually your mistake. Then it's like, oh, wait a minute here. These things on these sites are not, they're not from submissions. They're they're not from exes and angry. Some of them were, but there's a whole bunch of them that were stolen and then posted for content. And that changes I mean, the Everything. whole thing is wrong, but mm-hmm. that changes the whole, like, you know, so. And yeah. there was a, a financial relationship between Hunter Moore and uh, Charles Evans, who is the the, the Greg, uh, Greg Jones that we're, that we're talking about. So did you and, talk to the FBI, Camille, with this, with this information? Did they find you? No. Did the so, FBI find you? <laughs> a bit of a loaded question. <laughs> no. So in the process of putting this whole thing together, then um, Charlotte, you know, from the very beginning and told me she'd been in touch with the FBI. And while I believed her as a journalist, you have to, if you're, you know, you have to verify things. So the one issue is that the FBI, unless you have sources inside, which few people do, unless you're at the highest, highest levels of, you know, journalism in the world, you know, they're not going to tell me whether or not they're working on an investigation. Um, So Charlotte had provided me with all of her information but what I ended up doing is once I was able to 
tie all this together and have evidence that there actually was a hacking conspiracy behind this website. I reached out to the FBI. You know, I left messages for the agents. Of course, they're not going to call it. I knew that, but you do that as like due diligence. But I called the communications office and what I had done per the advice of another reporter at The Voice was like, you know, call them, say, you know, I know you can't tell me, but I'm going to go forward with the story. And like, is that like, what do you, is that, is that like a terrible mistake? I, I, it didn't necessarily work, <laughs> but that was my approach. And um, so what the, what the FBI genuinely 90% of the time does is say, uh, we cannot confirm nor deny there's an investigation. So, and that's their, that's their take. And that's what I got on the phone. And that's what the woman told me, you know, we cannot confirm it. And I said, you know, I'm going forward with this story. Like, would that be a terrible mistake? And she said, I, you know, I cannot confirm nor deny. But what did happen is that I got off the phone with her and within 20 minutes, I got a phone call from Charlotte. You called the FBI? And I was like, ah, okay. That confirms Mm -hmm. that you have been in touch with the FBI because they immediately called her because they had asked her not to go to the press. So they mm. called her like, why are you going to the press? We have the press calling our office. She calls me. You And I didn't tell her that I was calling. So, you know, and then I went back and called, you know, the communications office again and sort of like reiterated. And, and the point being that I went forward with the story, but it's not a good journalist, any journalist, like, it's not like she told me and I just said, oh, there's an FBI investigation. You know, okay. it was that. And then it was also that the other thing that I felt that I was able to verify and go forward with the story is that the victims I've spoken with all had said, yes, I have spoken with the FBI. Here are their things. But you also mm-hmm. always have to be leery, like as a journalist, because you're I'm being introduced to all these victims through one person, Charlotte Laws. And while she did seem credible, you always have to be aware that what if she has set up all of this? Mm-hmm. like what okay. if and, I'm not, and this is not you would not like uh, this is not charlotte laws this is anything this is as a journalist you in especially in a sensitive story that involves law enforcement you have to think like well how can i verify this with, outside of every single thing that this one source has given me because while i think she's credible and everything's checking out there has to be a way out you know in the world that can also verify these things and that call to the FBI office and then that like that it came bar- right back to me was one of the major things that was like, OK, I'm, we're moving forward with the story. Like uh, it's yeah. ready to go. You know, I'd already written it and everything, but I had to, to figure out a way to deal with that. So that second story broke the publicly that there was a hacker presence behind this very popular website and that there was an FBI investigation into it. Yes. I also just want to stop down real quick and make sure that we let people know that hacking, hacking um, schemes like this are still happening to this day. Like this exact scenario, how some of these women were being hacked are, is still happening in 2022. Um, Yeah. The form that they're doing it is, is like they, they explain on the documentaries, like it's somebody who you think, you know, reaches out to you is like, Hey, I can't get into my email you know, can I use yours as a recovery? And then once you give them your email information, they lock you out of their email. And then what was, what was happening is when when the women would then regain access to their email, they'll find, find out that the recovery email address was to the Gary Jones email. Yes, exactly. 
And that was the thread that connected most of the the victims. And um, I just I I just really want to point this out because this is a, a scheme that's been happening on Instagram and Facebook even to this day where they will hack into somebody's Facebook or Instagram account that, you know, they will then ask you for your information. And then it's been happening a lot with like Bitcoin scammers. Mm -hmm. If you've been seeing a lot of those videos where people are forced to say like, Oh, I I got Bitcoin, you know, um, I went on this website that that's the, the same style of hacking. It's just be mindful when you're on your social medias, that you you know you're you're just very careful with sharing your your information even if it's with people you think you 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 know with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So talking of the victims, let's just touch now on some of the talking heads that we have. I very much like the style, the visual presentation of these women centered very much uh, in the camera frame and talking, talking, I felt sort of directly to us. I found the their presentation to be respectful, such a strange word, because I mean, one would, one would automatically hope for respect, but we listen to them and we also, they, the, the gaze that they have is very strong. So we heard from Cara, who was a, a nurse, and uh, Danielle, and these people variously, but in a sort of awfully same way, had their lives impacted. And we also heard from Destiny, uh, who was known on the site as Butthole Girl, which is so reductive. But we really hear in behind what her motivations were, and I appreciated this uh, from the uh, filmmakers. Mari, what struck you about the women that we heard from who were victims? It's very important to get these stories out there. It's really important to put faces to the victims, just like Camille said as well. It's just like you have to be able to get their, their faces out there in order for empathy to be allowed, you know, and no matter if the women were hacked or not, you know, if they willfully shared their nudes with a consensual partner, this should not have happened to them. You know what I'm saying? Like there, none of this is right. None of this was right. None of this should have happened. And showing how bad that it could have impacted each one of their lives going so far as I think it was, was it, was it Kara who almost took her life? I, I think it was. It's, it's just very heartbreaking, but it's so necessary. It's so, so necessary in documentaries like this that we really, truly get the victim's point of view. And then also, I thought Destiny's point of view was really 
major as well because she was she was a participant she like she at first was a participant and then kind of it kind of ballooned to it it getting out of her control you know what i'm saying i think she originally was very into the site she said she was constantly on the site she had submitted herself on the site to further her cam site job you you know we're pro sex work here we don't care so i i like that we got her side as well but then i do like the raw the the rawness of the raw emotion about how it then snowballed for her and it just goes to show you that hunter Moore truly is like oh you know <laughs> slightly sociopathic in a sense like he really took full advantage of all of these women even the the ones that were actively participating so it, it really makes you think um, because one of his defenses are like was like, why would I hack if I get 200 submissions a day? But you were hacking and you were paying somebody to to hack in people's emails. So what was it about, you know, the consensual, you, you know, the consensual post or or, or like the, the slightly more consensual post versus the hacking one? It just really just reeks of misogyny and um, reeks of like wanting to take control and wanting to degrade and humiliate. And I think the documentary did a pretty good job of centering that as, as one of his main motivations. I mean, as I said, I'm, I, I'm very much like this documentary, but I did have a question mark over Kira, uh, Kira Hughes, who was Hunter's girlfriend. The documentary doesn't say, but uh, Camille, I must have read it in, uh, one of your articles, they didn't have sex, I believe. Fine. All choices are choices, as long as they're choices. Her inclusion in the documentary, I think, was curious because, again, as I say, the most of the talking heads, the women are talking directly to us, but we have Kira soulfully sitting in windows and looking out the window. I wasn't sure what she was supposed to contribute. At the end, she finds that she's had Facebook messages from uh, people begging her to ask her boyfriend to take the photographs down, and she is genuinely moved and upset by this. But uh, what's your take on that, Camille? You know, I think my sense is that Kira was uh, in the documentary because, you know, first of all, she was his girlfriend at this time. And even though, I mean, they had a relationship where, uh, my understanding or what he had told me at the time was that they it was like an emotional relationship. They didn't have sex anymore, but they had sex with other people because it, it, I don't I, I don't know if it was long distance at, at various points, but it was, you know, clearly this is he's an emotionally damaged human that that is not to judge their relationship regardless in terms of how they decided to conduct it. But my sense of including her, the inclusion of her is that you watch it, you go like, who would be with this guy? You know, like wh what sort of woman would be in a relationship with him? And Kira, that Kira is the woman. And, you know, I think that there was, you know, uh, she's obviously come, you know, to regret uh, lots of things. I don't know how clear it is, but I do think that it's important to be to reminded that he really was very charismatic and compelling and he was funny. You know, and, and that this is no defense whatsoever, but part of his appeal was that he was like, he was funny and he was, you know, he had these sort of like Colin Farrell with perpetual hangover looks, um, you know, he was charismatic. He was, so I think that my sense is, in including Kira is that not everyone, and, and in fact, 
during the the taping, it didn't end up on in the documentary, but you know, one of the things, the questions that they had asked me is like, you did find him charismatic, didn't you? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like he's doing horrible things, but he had a, he, he had a very easy way of making you want to be liked by him. And I'm, and for me as a journalist, that wasn't the case, but I just saw mm-hmm. it. And I think that they, they do a good job of, um, of showing this because of the family section where we get, that you know Charlotte Laws is uh, she's on her crusade against him but every time she's you know getting threats by the family the family and then they have a breakdown it was it was in a lot of, of it was in episode 1 where it's like it was they called him almost like a cult leader like he had these people that were willing to do anything that he said and they did um and these twitter reenactments is what I, it had to be they you know it was twitter reenactments of him posting on twitter you know he'd write something out they'd hit tweet you get the like the documentaries love this using this twitter noise when they're <laughs> when they're simulating the social media and they showed him saying like punch yourself in the head and then all of a sudden it's it's a recreation of all these videos of people punching themselves in their head and calling him father and and saying they're a part of the family and, and a cult so it is very interesting and even in episode three once he goes to prison we hear about how like the family kind of just dissolves so it it must be something there but i mean are we really surprised because again it cult leaders normally do have that magnetism that is accompanied with again i'm not a i'm not a psychologist but a lot of sociopathy so you know they like you know it's it so i'm not i guess i'm not too surprised that he was charismatic and people wanted to to follow him uh what did you think about the family sarah and how we kind of got these twitter twitter interactions yeah, I mean, I think that cult aspect is is very interesting. I mean, it's a, a a subgroup, a small group that's very insular. You want to be part of the group. Uh, you want if you know you want to have sex with Hunter. Apparently, if you are anywhere near him, your underpants just fall to the ground. Uh, and I think that part of seeing him and that sort of slight nihilism that he has, you know, burn everything down. Don't come for me or I'll I'll get you. I can do anything I want. I can say anything I want. It's quite intoxicating. And I mean, as I say, look, I was in the punk scene in the 70s and we there was that idea of courageousness. And if somebody said these sort of outrageous things about about society and, and burning everything to the ground, it was really thrilling as a young person to hear that and to feel that you're you know, you feel different, but you go and you find these people and you feel like you're part of them. So the, even the name, the family really resonates there for me with these young people looking for a sense of belonging. So I, in retrospect, and I talked to the director a lot about this during uh, the process of, you know, them working on it, because my role as a consultant, essentially, like I was a subject in the film, uh, but I also because I had done a ton of reporting and had a lot of familiarity with the subjects, like, I, you know, I spoke to the director and the producer, like, regularly. And one of the things that I said is that I very much saw Hunter and his appeal and, you know, the cult surrounding him. I, I very much saw him as a precursor to Donald Trump in the sense that he was a bully. Um, you have a bully who wants, and I say this from no partisan shade, I say this as a matter of an objective fact, they're both bullies. They both had lots and lots of people who 
uh, wanted their approval. They were funny. They're both funny. I mean, you can say what you want about Donald Trump, but he can be funny. And uh, to me, it was always, and I didn't know this at the time, but, you know, looking back, um, I very much, and I, like I said, I spoke to the director about this a lot, that I thought that this was like, uh, you know, it was a small micro story, but it was very much like a precursor to what would end up being the rise of Donald Trump and um, how people follow, you know, people who are like, who, who allegedly will say what's on everybody's mind, who will say, you know, negative things that will insult, that will call, attack women for their facelifts or call people fat or call people dogs. Like, I mean, these are all facts. I am not speaking, I'm not name calling yeah. here. I'm presenting facts, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, Whatever you think of it, I very much saw the Hunter Moore thing as now in retrospect that it was like, you know, like kind of a precursor to the times. Yeah, like a harbinger harbinger of what was to Mm. come. Mm. Uh, oh, that's fascinating because one of my questions about this documentary uh, is why now? I mean, to me, it, it, it seemed very, even though it's, it's talking about things from 10 years ago. Uh, I had to sort of sit back in order to ask the question why now because it seemed, you know, very relevant and I wasn't sure why and I think you've, you know, broken open some of some of the reasons for that. Let's uh, talk about what's happened since. Uh, we've talked a little bit, but uh, Hunter Moore was released from prison in 2017. He's still banned from Facebook uh, but he is active on Twitter. Uh, most of his tweets are is anyone up? Which was the name of his website. Uh, he also wrote a book called that. He's invested in Bitcoin because, of course, he has. In interviews since his release, he says he is proud of the community he created, uh, which is interesting because that's one of the things we've been talking about: is that uh, that sense of community. And he initially said that he would participate in the docu series. Uh, he explained his withdrawal from the docu series by saying. They wouldn't let me tell my side of the story. You know, I was never, you know, he, he's not a fan of me, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, uh, he loved my first Village Voice story, but then when well, it I it starts with him having sex on your lap. I mean, it's the best opening line I've read in a long time. <laughs> I actually posted a picture on my uh, Instagram of, of from that scene where, like, they are, you can see. They are on my lap. Like, I was not exaggerating. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Andrew Moore is not a fan, so I was not at all involved in any sort of uh, dialogue with him. I also I also can tell you that he despises Charlotte Laws to the point where if anybody's doing an interview, he will not, he won't talk about her. Yeah, well, she won. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should also say that I'm not at all like trying to make him sound good or anything like that. No, I no, no. I mean, we, you know, there's, there's it, it, nothing's black and white. Uh, it does give the documentary filmmakers one of the best end title cards you've ever seen, which is where they say he, he was asked to participate and he said no. Uh, we decided to use his image anyway, um, which I do like that uh, pot and kettle. Let's go to our ratings now. Camille, I'll start with you. How would you rate this documentary on a scale of one to five magnifying glasses? Five being the absolute best you can be. I mean, I'm a complete, it's like, 
I, I'm completely biased. I have to say, like, <laughs> I nearly I'm said it. You're unbiased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't. You know, you're asking. No, I, I, you know, a million, a million. <laughs> also, a million, a million magnifying glasses out of five. Excellent, uh, Mari. In your unbiased opinion, in, in my <laughs> unbiased opinion, I really, I really did enjoy this documentary. I think I would give it. I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to think of if there's any re, any reason why I would give it any negatives. I would think that I, I'm gonna give this a a four out of five magnifying glasses. I think it was really good. I like the layout of it. I I think my biggest harp again is like, why do we keep watching all these docu series? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was the three parter about. That's a you thing, Mari. You like that's a me. Like I know an, an I know. hour and out. Yes, you. I know a few hours and out. Yeah, but <laughs> other than that, I I really enjoyed it. I did get to watch it. I did get to watch all three parts twice. I think I liked how they they did the layout of it. The ending, I feel like maybe could have been a little bit stronger, could have hit a little bit stronger. But then again, I'm thinking like the events themselves kind of unfold, maybe a little bit less dramatically at the end. I would have loved a a really hard punch more into like the hacking and and what really happened. We did get the the, um, showing up of Anonymous, the hacking group who like literally shut him down. They erased his social security. They made all of his passports expired. Like they basically provided backup for Charlotte Laws. Um, against Hunter Moore after the the site was was breaking down, so that was very interesting. I was like, oh my god, I know these people. I, I heard they they hack really good for good purposes. <laughs> All right, Grandma. Um, I know, I know, right? <laughs> um, but you know, I'll give you know I'll give four point five, four point five magnifying glasses out of five. I it was thoroughly enjoyable, and I get why it is in the it's been in like the top ten for like two weeks now. I I really did enjoy this. It was it was a story I had no clue about. So I was I was anxiously getting to the end. And like I said, maybe it's because I didn't know how it was going to end. That's why I was like, oh, you know, uh, it maybe that's why I felt like it fizzled a little bit at the end there. But I, I really liked it. I loved all the characters, Charlotte Laws, Kayla, James, like Camille. I loved I loved all the good reporting. You know, like we said, we're not journalists here. We're, we're, <laughs> we, we're not that I, I did. I did think this was a very thorough. So that's what I'll give it. I'll give it 4.5. Yes, I'm the same. I'm with you four and a half. I thought this was excellent. I really like the way that the documentary was structured. I don't mind a three-parter, <laughs> uh, particularly one like this where it's a very distinct shift between the parts. I suppose yeah. the only reason I take off half a magnifying glass is I had to spend time with Hunter Moore, which I do not <laughs> enjoy. Now we like to give uh, recommendations, uh, other properties that people might like to uh, investigate, shall we say. Uh, Camille, do you have anything to recommend to our listeners? So my recommendations, I mean, I am, you know, I like docuseries and things. The things that I really like at this very moment in time, which probably have nothing to do with anything the show is about, is um, I really love the series Yellow Jackets from Showtime. Mm. I would recommend Mm. anybody. Yes, yes. Sort of has a you know strength. That's really great. Um, I recently wrote an episode. There's a podcast um, series called Disgrace Land, and um, it's about music and true crime. And they have there's a uh, mm-hmm. a celebrity uh, like Hollywood uh, spinoff called uh, Hollywood Land slash Badlands. And I wrote an episode about Johnny Versace. So you know, and it's essentially wow. it's like um, 
the way it's written is that it's a uh, you know like almost James Elroy esque new journalism. So it's written all about true things that can be verified, but from like the characters who are parts of it. So for example, the Johnny Versace episode opens with like a scene that's all referenced um, in real life, but of Sylvester Stallone on the golf course a few miles away from where the killer of Johnny Versace uh, was ended up being found. And it's all like, uh, you know, I did a ton of research. So everything in it, but it sounds like a noir story. Um, I, no. I'm not the host, but uh, I do. I am pretty proud of how what, how that, that particular uh, script turned out. Oh, I can't wait mm-hmm. to check that out. Well, I'll put that yeah. in the show notes. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. And, and Mari, what do you have to recommend today? So uh, one of our listeners, Shondell, reached out to us uh, with a great email. Thank you so much, Shondell. Uh, she uh, recommended two things. I'll just give you one today and I'll save the second one if I can't come up with a recommendation the next time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is the real reason we like listener recommendations. Yes. So when we're running on empty, we go, oh, listener recommendation. <laughs> uh, but she said the first is called Evil Genius, the true story of America's most diabolical bank heist. I did watch this. This came out on Netflix um, a few years ago. And the reason why I wanted to recommend it because I watched this I didn't indeed enjoy it, but I just like this, this uh, case, it's, it's, it's the next, the Netflix description is a bank robbery in Pennsylvania ends in the bombing death of a pizza delivery man who may or may not have been a hostage forced to commit the crime. Uh, There are four episodes with a watch time ranging between uh, 45 minutes to 53 minutes per episode. The reason why I like the suggestion and the reason why I'm passing that on was I heard about this crime, I want to say midway through college. And I remember seeing, I don't know if it was like a 48 hours on it, but I remember seeing the image of the pizza delivery man. Like after he had robbed the bank, he was sitting there along the side of the street and all the cops were around it and it made evening news and all the evening news and everybody was there and they had the cameras rolling and he he dies on camera. And I remember seeing that in college and I remember it sticking with me for weeks and weeks and just thinking of such a crazy story that it was just from the little bit that we knew at the time and then finding out later how much bigger it was of of a scheme and Evil Genius on Netflix Netflix does a great job of unfolding all the different layers to that case and and, um, all the major players in it. So I would definitely go and recommend it. And not only that, it was made into a comedy movie called 30 Minutes or Less starring uh, Jesse Eisenberg, which movies like that are like hard for me. <laughs> like I'm like I enjoy this, but I also don't like this. It, it, it's that same vein of pain and gain too. You know, it's like I know the real case, so it's really weird that I'm laughing at the rock in this comedy when I know the real case and this really happened to real people. So I say all that to say, definitely go check out Evil Genius. Thank you, Sean Dell, for your recommendation um, because I completely agree with it. Uh, Sarah, how about you? Do you have a recommendation this week? I do. I'm going to recommend Murder in the Alps. It's a British three-part documentary about the murder of a British family on holiday in the French Alps and a French cyclist. This is a case from 2012 that is still unsolved. So if you, like Murray, like the full stop at the end of a case, it might leave you dangling. (laughs) I liked very much the way they looked back at it. Uh, It's 
I, I think it's absolutely excellent. It's available on Stan in Australia and on Channel 4 in the UK. Uh, Murray has done some digging to try and find it in the US. We haven't uh, found the streaming service for it yet, but we can update you uh, when we do. At Crime Scene, we're eager to hear your feedback from Shundell today and suggestions for future episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene, R-H-A-P, that's Scene, S-E-E-N, or email us at crimescenerhap at gmail.com. Camille, what do you have going on at the moment and where can people find you if you want to be found? <laughs> uh, I have a website that's in development. It's just my name, camildodero.com. In, under construction, but by the time this is out, it'll be a lot spiffier and cooler. Um, I'm on social media at my name. Uh, you know, I'm a freelancer, so I write for all sorts of things. But at the moment, look for me in the future because I have some really cool things. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening to this in a year's time, there'll be all sorts of things out there. And Mari, where can the people find you? As always, you can find me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's two, like the number two, every week here with Sarah, bringing True Crime Tuesdays to RHAP. Uh, me and Matt Scott are currently on hiatus for the Wrestling Rehap Up podcast, uh, where we break down the highlights in this week in wrestling. But uh, rest assured, we will be back. So definitely go follow uh, both of us on Twitter. You can follow Matt at at Matt Scott GW on Twitter. Um, so you can keep posted for when we come back. You can uh, follow our podcast at Wrestling Rehab Up on Twitter. And then please go uh, subscribe to the Wrestling Rehab Up uh, podcast by going to robhasawebsite.com slash wrestling feed um, in order to follow us and subscribe and be the first people to know when we're, we'll, we'll be back. Uh, Sarah, how about you? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine. Uh, the moment over on Post Show Recaps Theatre, I talked about Bullet Train with Grace Leader and Phil Thompson. I will spoil my review here and say I really liked it. <laughs> and there's a new episode of Inside Job uh, that just dropped a few days ago called The Abolitionist. So if you want to hear some bracing thoughts on uh, burning down the prison industrial complex and changing the carceral system from the great uh, Debbie Kilroy, that is the place for you. Mari, what do we have coming up next week? Next time on Crime Scene, we'll be reviewing I Just Killed My Dad with returning guest Sarah D. Bunting. You can watch it on Netflix and send us your comments and questions. So thanks to Camille Dodero for joining us, to Will from America for the theme music, Tricky Rice for the graphics, and Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time, case, case closed. closed. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.